All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of Living with Will. I'm so fucking excited for you guys to hear this episode. Charlie Cole is an incredible cinematographer. He's an artist of a century, and the dude is one of my biggest inspirations since I can remember. I mean, we had met in high school, and he was always so inspiring to me, not just for his work with, with a pen and, and drawing, but also just his attitude towards life and the way that he held himself. Um, I've always really fucked with this man. And just to see where his career has gone, the person that he's become, is fucking the next level. So I'm so excited for you guys to get introduced to him if you don't know him. And for the people who do know him, I'm just thrilled for you to be able to hear this man's insight because this interview is fucking next level. So stay tuned. It's a great one. Um, if you like the podcast, as always, please like, comment, subscribe. It helps me on my path to world domination and just getting my word out to the world. So I really appreciate everyone who's done it already. And for those who will, like, comment, and subscribe, appreciate you. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning back in, and welcome back to another week of Living with Will. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in. Uh, I hope everyone had a great week in between last week and this week. Um, as always, continued successes and blessings to everyone who listens. And uh, welcome back to Living with Will. Um, I'm so grateful for this interview. I've known Charlie since I was a wee lass, and uh, he was always an inspiration to me artistically and, and just as a person. The man, is he's just a fucking good-hearted dude. And, to see the successes he's finding is, is both inspiring and, and motivating to me. So I'm super grateful to have him here. And uh, Charlie Van, thank you for Glad taking here, your dude. time. I'm glad we finally got a chance to make it happen. Yeah, real shit. So let's just let's just start the same way I start with everybody. You know, um, you're a cinematographer working in LA. Um, where did that? How did that start? What was like the beginning of your career mm. and and your steps into the industry? Sure. So. Um, I started going to art school because, as most people like who get into the arts, at some point as a kid you recognize that you gravitate towards the arts and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I had to go to art school. I just knew that's where I was going to figure myself out. Um, so I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn and studied illustration for a couple of years, and then switched to drawing. And eventually uh, took this film class that just inspired me of like everything that I. Every way of thinking I had ever had all clicked into one situation. I realized like this is the this is the path for me, and the biggest part of it was collaboration. Like mm -hmm. I love doing drawing, I love doing illustration, but it's all limited to what your own mind can conjure up. Mm -hmm. And so once you start doing film work, you get the chance to be both your own artist, but also to be inspired by what's happening in front of you. And that just really clicked for me. Um, so I did some work there towards the end of Pratt. Then I did two years of freelance work in New York as a filmmaker, both director and cinematographer. And um, I just recognized that I was not achieving the images I wanted to achieve, and it was based on my own inability to either self-teach myself or just know the knowledge that I really needed to know to control the image entirely. And so I knew I had to go to grad school, um, applied to this one school in LA, which was for me like the only choice, AFI. And uh, I told myself, if I don't get in, I'll like buy a dope-ass camera and like some mini and like do it freelance in New York. And if I did get in, I'll take out an even bigger loan and do it up, and uh, that really pushed me on the path of being a cinematographer. And now, now I just love it because I get to be an artistic image maker, but also get to collaborate with people who are more um, well-rounded storytellers. So they get to show me a little bit more about like how you tell a larger story and how you connect with characters that are fictional instead of just falling in love with what's in front of you, which is what happens a lot as a camera operator. Hell yeah. I love that, man. Well, I, that brings up so many questions for me, and I, I guess I'll start with the first, which is, I think, a big deterrent for a lot of people with this industry is, like, the difficulty of finding work and, like, mm -hmm. taking a risk on your dream. So, like, when you were having that inner monologue with yourself of, like, you know, taking out more loans and taking that risk, what was, like, the deciding factor for you to, like, you know, make that leap? Because it's not a guarantee that you would have found work. At some point, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta bet on something. Yeah. And at that point, I knew, I knew that at the very least, I was passionate about it, and I had had enough luck and circumstances that like had given me the confidence to believe that the world also believed in the work I was doing. Mm. So that just oh, yeah. gave me the push. I was like, if I'm going to do something, it has to happen now. And 
and truly that that push, you know, not to promote grad school is not for everybody, but at that time it was the right thing for me at the right time, and it elevated my work tremendously because it it reminded me that like you have to work your ass off mm-hmm. in parts of the field that you don't usually gravitate to. So right. like, for me, I was a very artistic-led filmmaker, and most people come like from film. I came from fine art, so for me it was just about like the emotion of the moment. Right. And I didn't have the training, and grad school gave me the training, and it like it made filmmaking a lifelong tool for me because it was like, wow, I can, I'm never gonna not know how I feel and what I care about in the moment, but I will always be able to learn how to execute my vision better. Yeah. And that's from collaboration, that's from like learning tools, that's from, um, for me it was like, I just never even second guessed it. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe idiotically, but luckily it's paid off. But yeah. like, I just knew it's like, if I got something, I'm gonna go for it because I got nothing else going. Like, right. I'd rather take the scary route and go deep in than take the safer route and always wonder what could have happened. Totally. So Jim Carrey has this, he has this quote, right, that I always, I always find myself falling back into and it's like, you can either create this character and you have to either like it's a business character or whatever, like this societal character that you create for yourself mm-hmm. and you can go that path but you have to die on that path. And then the other mm-hmm. one is like taking the risk of like letting yourself be like known to the world and like have the potential of failure of yourself and not being accepted by That's society. Your true self. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I love that and, and part of the you know, the beauty of this podcast is being able to show people like that inspire me, hopefully to inspire the audience, like you know, you can succeed by being yourself. You don't have to be some... <laughs> I mean, especially nowadays, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a, it, there's a lot of all these jobs that never existed before, and, and that includes freelance filmmaking. I mean, like, I could have never gotten to where I got at that speed if it had not been for the revolution of, like, DSLRs right as I started to get into filmmaking. So, for me, I was able to go buy a $3,000 camera, which, which was the 5D Mark III, and that camera had never existed before... I graduated college and like mm. because of that camera I was able to buy a camera that looked great like some big movies like Francis Ha is shot on that camera yeah I love that movie yeah and it's great and it looks fantastic so yeah. it's like I could have I had a tool in my hands that for the first time was able to put out a real professional image and I could just kind of let go of the technicality and just sort of like actually commit to my artistry uh, awesome I mean dude then that that comes into so many things like even now like you're making these podcasts like that would have never been a job opportunity a while ago so true so, so this true. is the first time where we should all, anybody who's out there should really just be totally just being as honest as possible because what our parents told us were the way to go is not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. Gotta be a jack of all trades. And, that, yeah. and that's so important too, like for the people who don't know kind of like the history of the podcast, like it wouldn't have happened. Charlie was selling a Tascam recorder that we're recording <laughs> on right now and, uh, and I was trying to get into the podcasting and what I really needed was like a financial investment in myself, similar to like you with grad school. I mean, it's a much mm-hmm. smaller investment. But $150, which is what you were selling this task came for, was enough to jumpstart me and be like, all right, I put money down, I'm unemployed, like, yeah. I, it is now make or break. Like, <laughs> do I want this bad enough? And sometimes those, like, those things push you to, totally. to like, rise to the occasion, you know? And 100%. that was kind of my same thing with grad school, was like, if I'm going to go, I need to not just physically go, but I need to mentally and emotionally go there, too. And so I left my whole life behind, you know, at the time I left... My best friend, my New York lifestyle, which I never wanted to leave, my very serious girlfriend, like all these intense things. And luckily, my girlfriend and I were able to reconnect. But like all these things that, you know, if you're going to commit to something, you got to commit wholeheartedly. Totally. Um, and it, if you're truthful and you're honest, it'll pay off. Even if it doesn't lead to like success right away, the, the stuff you learn about yourself and the stuff you learn about what you want to do with your life is crucial. Totally. No, there's... There's a Jay-Z quote that I've said it in past interviews before where he says, uh, I never lose because even in failure, I learned a valuable lesson, so it evens out for me. Absolutely. And so I always, I always try and push people, you know, if you have a passion or you have something that you, like a purpose that you want to fulfill, go for it. Because it might not be the way you envisioned, but it's going to lead you to what you're supposed to be doing. And so yeah. um, kind of speak on a little bit, you know, where AFI led you. Like, where are you now with your career? What's, what's, sure. what's gone on since? So... You know, before coming into AFI, I was extremely passionate, um, but the passion had its limitations because the passion was, I mean, that can only take you so far. You can care about something, but at some point you need to latch on to a project or collaborators or whatever. And, and what AFI gave me was in twofold, both the technical know-how to actually achieve work that was at the highest level. So I knew I could actually shoot million dollar films if, if I had the occasion. and. Um, I also met collaborators that were able to push me in ways that I had never expected. And then so like after graduating I got really lucky and I 
I that first year I did four feature films back to back, and it was the most exhausting year of my life. Yeah. On top of like six music videos in there and two commercials, it was a crazy, crazy year. Yeah, and it was like everything I had ever hoped for. Um, and you know, they ranged from thirty thousand dollar features to a million dollar features, and it was all over the place. So I really got like my hands wet and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, my feet wet and everywhere. And uh, I mean, now it's now it's kind of weird because twenty twenty hit everything stopped mm-hmm. and it got me thinking a lot more about not just the reason you're doing something but sorry it got me thinking a lot more about the act of doing something versus the reason for doing something mm-hmm. and so I found myself towards the end of the year I would take any job I could get and I was doing it because I wanted to be a cinematographer and all this time off has reminded me why I wanted to be a cinematographer in the first place and it's to be an artist and mm-hmm. so Mm-hmm. Now I'm trying to be a little more diligent with the, the work that I do and the products that I take on because it's at the end of the day like you can very easily find yourself doing work that's not your art mm-hmm. and that is a very dangerous place because I mean something my mom told me a long time ago I was starting to get this like quote unquote success after AFI on these certain jobs and my mom is like what does success mean to you and sometimes it gets hard because you can talk to your friends about your RT, or your RC projects that you really care about forever but if there's no name attached like nobody really understands it mm-hmm. and so I would find like at some point I was going to do it fell through but I was going to do a Katy Perry not a Katy Perry anyway somebody at that level like when I was going to do a music video for this person mm-hmm. and oh Megan Trainer. I was going to mm-hmm. do a Megan Trainer music video thing and I remember I could just tell people like yo I'm going to do a Megan Trainer thing mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're like wow you've gotten to it even though that was the worst thing I had done in that whole half year but because there's a name there, and so like, defining what success means is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that would have been the least artistically successful piece I've done, but on paper, it's great. And yeah. so I've started to think a lot more about that. That's awesome. So as far as like your creativity and your art, what is like a dream scenario for Charlie Cole, the cinematographer? Uh, you know, that's a funny one, because I've started to think a lot more about that recently. Um, in terms of rearranging my preconceived notions of like what being a big cinematographer or like what being a successful cinematographer means mm-hmm. because at the time that you know and by the time by then when I say at the time I mean a year ago for me it was doing bigger and better projects ideally they're projects that inspire me because then I can do better work on them but ultimately it's like climbing climbing this ladder of like bigger and better projects, higher budgets, you know, better concepts, better creators, better collaborators, etc. And now I've gotten to this point where I feel I need to do something, I need to do a piece of work that really reflects just what I'm trying to say as an artist to remind myself that like this is what I want to say because the nature of my job as a cinematographer is to tell other people's stories. Right. Like another writer or director writes a story and I come in and if I'm able to fall in love with it and if the directors are able to open their hearts, which they always do, and let me be a part of the storytelling process, then it's really rewarding. Mm. But it's never exactly what I'm trying to say. I'm just able to latch onto somebody else's idea and make it something that I'm trying to approach too, but through another person as a vessel. And so I've been really trying to work on a very, like a highly experimental piece that's just sound and images because I love sound design too. So I'm, I'm trying to work on this like, 20 to 40 minute like epic weird piece of all inspired by a thematic concept of drowning or like falling or something that's very just abstract but you have an emotional reaction to it and no narrative yeah and so I'm trying to I've been like building sounds and stuff and working on a little bit but for me that's like more success now than doing a piece that gets into something totally I love that man and I and I totally resonate with it that's kind of like what the podcast was for me because for so many years I mean at Sony, I was working to help musicians' dreams come true, and then at ICM, I was helping actors and directors' dreams come true, mm. and then at the Senate, I was helping work on like the senator's dream, and then it came to a point where I was like, well, what the, what does Will Gaines want, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I had to have that conversation with my family, you know, because no family wants to hear, I'm quitting this, working with a senator to, right. to drive Uber and become a comedian. But, but the, the selling point that I had for them was that I would rather live a life of failures than a life of regrets. Like, I want to put it all on myself. And it, when failures is a weird word there because mm-hmm. you're actually succeeding. You're, yeah. you're succeeding in a much more honest way than you would be exactly. doing something you don't care about. But on paper, it's like something that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And we were speaking about this before. Like, it gives me opportunity to, like, I always wanted to reach the youth and, like, get people involved, whether it be, like, 
in the voting and like political process or like just the pursuit of happiness and now I get to like you know uh, speak unfiltered and like uncensored about like what the fuck makes me inspired and happy <laughs> when you're growing so much from it and I've seen that happen too like the second you were able to just embrace will as will mm -hmm. and not like will as will and then will as will working who's more tempered like fraction version of yourself mm -hmm. you can just be you all the time exactly. and that leads to so much more growth and yeah it's amazing man and so so you know I, I love talking about myself but let's make let's keep the conversation sure, on sure. Charlie so like as far as like Charlie the man like what is uh, you know things that are like are have importance to you beyond necessarily the creativity like what what mm -hmm. kind of inspires and motivates you to create well that's been kind of the challenge of 2020 actually has been for so long you know the, ever since I hopped into grad school essentially and then the few years after that I've been working on projects that are all of the what and the how is handed to me and then I, I just have to figure out first the why like why do I care about this and then why like how can I benefit this project right. in a way that somebody else couldn't mm -hmm. and to take a step back to that's like one of my favorite elements of looking at cinematography from a fine arts point of view is you know, the one moment I keep going back to myself is I had a drawing class, you know, years ago at Pratt, um, at my undergrad college, and everybody was talented. Everyone is a good draftsman. Everyone has good skill on paper. But the whole point of a drawing is that you're, you're oozing something different. You're oozing your soul onto the paper. Otherwise, we might as well take a photograph. So it's like, right. if everyone can draw well, why are you drawing this? Mm. And so, like, what are you bringing to the table? And that's something I try to really focus on with cinematography is, like, why is my wide shot different than somebody else's wide shot. Same mm -hmm. camera, same lens, same actor, same everything, but like why is mine different and can you feel it? And if you can't feel it, then what am I doing? Because you should be able to feel an element of my personality in there, otherwise my work isn't as honest as I want it to be. Um, sure. But so that's been a, a tricky thing with 2020. I've had a lot of time to think about that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm actually kind of grateful this year happened because I've had so much time to just consider why am I doing what I'm doing and Luckily, honestly, this came at the time where like my career started to really pick up and getting this year off in a weird way has yeah. been a great time to just look back and reflect and be like, okay, moving forward, let's say 2021, everything picks up again. What do I want to do differently before I just get swept up in the wave of like picking projects because they have a better budget or a great actor attached? Like, what do I actually want to do? Mm -hmm. And how do I want to do them? Um, and how can it be honest to myself? Mm -hmm. I love yeah. that. That's huge. That's, That's huge. <laughs> it's really important. Not uh, super important. And, and I... Um, I think, you know, for, for the people listening, first of all, you know, my heart is with anyone who's suffering from any, any ailment, whether it be corona or otherwise, um, and, it, and it's been an incredibly humbling experience, you know, having things like the podcast happen during coronavirus, and, and like you were touching on, you know, having this time to learn, it, it's incredibly humbling, because it's like, you know, it mm -hmm. could be so much, it could be so much worse, dude, like... And reminding us how fragile this whole thing is. Like, yeah. so much of my self worth was dependent on these projects that actually had nothing to do with me at the end of the right. day. Right. Yes. And so all of a sudden they're gone, and I'm like, am I an artist if nobody's handing me a project to be attached to? Like, I have to be an artist that's self sufficient and mm -hmm. self motivated. Yeah. And so, as a cinematographer, by nature, you're just not that person. Like, you're not creating projects, you're attaching yourself to projects. Right. So, when there's no projects, am I just a person waiting to make art? And that's yeah. not the artist I want to be. I want to mm -hmm. be somebody who wakes up every morning and has an idea of exactly what I want to do and how I want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, That's so great. Like, I, I'll never forget when I first started ICM, the day I started was the last day of the HR, like, head, who had been working there for, like, 30 years. And she was like, today is my last day as blah, blah, the HR lady. And I'll never forget her saying that because I was like, your job doesn't even define you, mm -hmm. you know? You're not just X the job yeah. title, you're <laughs> X the human being, you know? Um, but we so, never look at it that way. That's like it, that happens so rarely, right? So speak on a little bit, like as far as like you as an artist, like when you're not a cinematographer, like in a time like right now, what is it that sure. you do to kind of satisfy that like well, so, innate desire? So one thing that's been picking up in my life is um, I used obviously like I went to school for drawing and illustration, and so I've started to rekindle that love. And at first, it started as just a time, as a way to pass the time a little bit, mm. and just kind of like let my mind wander and get my hands moving again. Um, and that got me really excited about, frankly, just like this old skill that I kind of like let go on the wayside. That was such a big part of my life for so many years. Yeah. Um, and then 
also because I, I had all these like you know internal issues and external issues and some family things that happened over this quarantine I just also got to a point where I kept wanting more and more tattoos mm -hmm. so this corona has sort of led me into a way where I've now started like doing tattoos on the side because for me it's a great way to reconnect to that part of myself this older version this older pure version of Charlie that I used to like be all the time as far as an artist and um, create something that actually like affects other people because that was my biggest issue with drawing and illustration was that it really felt like it was just for me mm. and other people can see it and look at it and then they move on like you do in the art gallery mm -hmm. but film people experience much more deeply and that's what drew me to it and so now with tattoos it's kind of a mixture of both worlds mm -hmm. because you are literally changing somebody's life for better or worse when you give them a tattoo and you're also imprinting your artwork out in the world which is exactly like why I enjoy illustration mm -hmm. um, and also all the drawings I do are just very they every time I draw one of them they feel very childlike to me too so it like pulls me back to little Charlie totally and and that's always why you know um, like I touched on in, in the intro like I've known you for a long time like the Charlie that I met when I was a kid like I always idolized because you were your drawings were like a manifestation of like my child mind and like I always emphasize this like I even as I get older like I'm always my dad gave me this advice when he turned 70 I was like what is something that you learned like mm. from your time on earth and he was like I still feel 15 at heart and what I always admired and appreciated about you is that I feel like you have that same mentality where like even though you're getting older and you're having like these business ventures like you still maintain that like child like yeah you have to. <laughs> and even if it's not the actual illustrated manifestation of that like you're not creating work that feels childlike or whatever and you're not bringing it into your daily life there's something beautiful about being a child and I think the biggest thing is a passion a wide-eyed view of the world and so it's like totally. if you can maintain that I mean it's something that it's something that you recognize a lot, especially in the film industry. Um, a lot of people get salty, is you know the word people use a lot, mm -hmm. and like they just get they get their hearts broken right. by rejection or mm -hmm. like crappy projects or whatever it is over years and years. And if you can fight to see every project as in like your whole heart is put into it, mm -hmm. and you're inspired and you're open-minded and you're open-hearted, it really goes so far. Um, so true. It. I mean, that's I think like single-handedly the thing that has like led to me getting the opportunities I've gotten is because I try to keep that alive and if a project doesn't can't inspire you to have that then it's probably not a project you want to be working on because you're just not going to do your best work and at that point like you might as well not spoil a huge opportunity as heartbreaking as it might be to pass on something that's really great if you're not in it like mm -hmm. you know if you're if you are emotionally in it but technically overwhelmed mm -hmm. you can overcome that obstacle mm -hmm. but if you're emotionally not in it you you're never going to overcome that you're not going to suddenly fall in love with it halfway through production when you're exhausted and beaten down by the world and whatever mm -hmm. you gotta get that from the beginning no that's a great point and and i'll and i'll and i'll say this as well for the people who are listening who have also dealt with rejection and shit and or struggle with dealing with rejection i'll say this um if you didn't get it this is how i go into job interviews and stuff if i go into an interview and i don't get hired the way that i deal with that rejection is that i wasn't supposed to be there you know like yes if you don't get the job just be like they fucked up. One way that I quit, one of my favorite uh, lines when I quit a job was, my employer was like, I feel like you're fucking me over because I spent all this time training you and like making you like the man that I like could see you as and now you're leaving, like how do I benefit this? How do I benefit from this? And I was like, I'm Will fucking Gaines, you're lucky to know me. You know what I mean? And like, it wasn't a cockiness thing, it wasn't, but it was like a great show of self-love where I'm like, you should be so lucky to have experienced me and like everyone should feel that way you know like well that's the thing even if uh, they're fucking up at that moment even if they didn't fuck up you don't want to be surrounded by people that don't appreciate you exactly and and I mean that in like the most honest way like people exactly. who really see you as you not just as like a worker but you can accomplish a task but as somebody who can learn and grow in the right way in the right environment like mm -hmm. that's that's crucial yeah and that's what I said to my family too when I when I like I'm putting myself out there in the public and like obviously I'm going to say things not everyone agree with, agrees with my family's like well be careful you know you might want to go back into this field and this field and I was like honestly if like people don't fuck with me for who I am now then fuck them because like this is who yes. I am for, for better or for worse like and people need to be comfortable with being themselves and that's always been something I feel like you were you were master at from the beginning was just like being yourself. Well, sometimes you have to not give yourself an out. Which mm -hmm. like for me, there were two big moments in my life. Was like I got a big sleeve tattoo, and for me, that moment was 
the second I got that, I was like, I'm never going to work at a desk job. Mm. And I'm making sure of it with this. Mm. Because I can't give myself a step back. If, I, if in 10 years I'm freaking out, I don't want to give myself the opportunity to pull back from what I really know I want to do. And the second was grad school, too. It's like mm. it was such a big investment, I couldn't pull back from that. Like, right. I was so much in debt and so invested in it at that point where it's no longer an option. Is this something you want to be doing? It's this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I either succeed or I don't. And if I don't, I'm still going to keep doing it. Right. I won't be successful at it, but I'm going to keep fighting it. You know, exactly. it's like, yeah. no, I love that. And I'm glad that you touched on that. Cause one of my questions was going to be like, do you have a plan B? And, and I like hearing people be like, no, there is no plan B. Like there can't the be, plan. I mean, yeah. there can't be a plan B because if there's a plan B, then you're not, if you're even thinking about a plan B, then it means you're, you're not doing it. Right. You're not doing it hundred percent. Not real shit. I love that. So in, in, in the spirit of, of childheartedness and, and lightheartedness, um, I'm going to throw you some questions that are a little off topic, but uh, if you were a superhero, what would your superhero power be and what would your superhero name be? Telekinesis for sure. Okay. Because, well, telekinesis is like the ability to move objects with your mind. I would want just the ability to control objects and also I mean mine would be great if I can like link two together because if you have that you can be you can be invisible because you can convince people that you're invisible mm. and you can fly because you can make your body fly so it's right. kind of like an all-in-one super Love encompassing it. thing as far as a name I have no idea I mean like I used to my rapper name when I just sucked at rapping was like MC squared because nice I got you know my initials are Charlie Cole so yeah MC squared that's sick I mean it's a shitty name but I love that I'd be dope to be like a, a crazy superhero with MC squared yeah no I always said that if I have a son I'm naming him Will Gaines squared <laughs> instead and then his kid will be Will Gaines Q no dude yeah. no and then Will Gaines is the power of four <laughs> I mean I like that a lot right just call him four yeah exactly <laughs> I think that'd be mad fun that'd be great and then if and if he doesn't if he's not willing to name his kid Cube, then I'll have another son. Yeah. And he'll be Will Gaines squared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one thing I do want to reiterate too is like, I, you know, I get this question a lot with people who are either like thinking about grad school or even before we're thinking about undergrad school going to the arts and and people get very afraid of dipping into the arts because it, it is so... It is so immersive. There's really not many options once you go into art school. Like you're really committing to a certain way of life. That's it's really not easy to like find work in another element. Right. Um, and I, it changes for every single person. But I think the biggest thing is like if you know this what you want to do, then if you're doubting it because you don't think you can do it, I would urge to remind people that like I went into art school also knowing that. I didn't know what exactly what I wanted to do and the proof is in the pudding that I went in as an illustrator and drawer mm -hmm. and now I'm a cinematographer like one of the most opposite elements of it but if you don't art, art is such a vast spectrum so like you can commit to art and then figure out along the way the same way people go into under, like liberal art schools with an open major and figure out what they want to do same with art you can sort of flip-flop and and nothing is nothing is not going to teach you something so like everything I just learned in my fine arts years has massively influenced my time now as cinematographer yeah. and I never planned for that and that it's like so that's where I consider that that's where I maybe like push for the philosophy of like if you feel it go for it mm. because that's never that feeling is never going to go away you might convince yourself it's not there but it's there totally and if, if it's easy for you to convince yourself it's not there then maybe it's not for you mm -hmm. but if you know it's there then just push it and it's right. gonna be hard and it and you know luckily the one thing you get from art school is you have just such amazing friends where everyone's struggling. And so everyone supports each other. And like some of my best projects are my friends helping me out for free doing crazy stuff. And those led to bigger and better jobs. And then like da, 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 it just paid mm -hmm. itself forward. Speak on that a little bit more. Like as far as the collaborative effort, have you kind of um, faced the roadblock of kind of like the competitive nature of the business as far as like people trying to get ahead? Or has that been something that's... It's it's definitely been a part of my life. I think it's impossible for it not to be, but um, it hasn't affected things too intensely or emotionally. I think the biggest thing that it's affected me as is I went to grad school, obviously, and AFI is a very intensely selective group of people, so you're only with like 25 other students. And I now find myself in competition with people that are like some of my best friends mm. for years. Mm -hmm. um, and who we used to, you know, keep each other up and help each other out and now it's like we definitely still would but it's a very different it's a very different type of relationship which is mm -hmm. sort of strange so I found myself 
hanging out with cinematographers less and less and less mm. because we are constantly in competition with each other. I mean, everyone my age coming from the same program is going to be up for the same jobs that I'm mm. hearing about. Mm -hmm. And that's a very real thing, yeah. um, which is unfortunate, but just the reality of the business. Totally. How do you navigate that? Just by spending less time with them? I don't know if that's the healthiest approach. That's just sort of what happens naturally, I think. Mm -hmm. But like, um, because if you're hanging out with somebody and they're talking about an epic job that you wanted and you're just, you know, because if they're excited about it, they're going to get drunk and start talking about it and right. you're just like, I don't want to hear about this. Um, yeah. I went for that job. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I wanted that job. You got that over. Or vice versa, you know, I'm talking about something and then I can just feel people rolling their eyes like, well, fuck you. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. that job too. Um, I, I feel like now, so we, I graduated about two and a half years ago and I feel like now I'm finally at the point where we can all, we've all started to make our own little paths individually and we can kind of reconnect now nice. a little bit, but it took a while to get there mm. because the competition is so fierce at the beginning and you know, every project that's coming out is based out of that grad school, like mm. whether it's the producer or the director or the writer or whatever. So they all know the same people. Yeah. And so even if somebody else isn't like in an interview for the job, they know that they were considered and they weren't chosen and you were chosen. And that is a very strange thing. And totally. at the end of the day, like it really shouldn't be competitive because it's whoever is emotionally right for the project we all have the same technical skill set but it's whoever's best suited to tell the story emotionally and honestly should be the the first way to go mm -hmm. but it doesn't always come off that way on the on the on the note of like collaboration and on the other side rather of collaboration where you know a cinematographer and a director have very close relationships because they're working together so much do you think it's important for someone starting out to kind of bind themselves with a director who's rising or mm. do you think that you know what I mean yeah yeah I, I know what you mean and that's I think it's a really popular thing to do but I would I would challenge whoever's doing that approach to question why they're teaming up with that person is it because you guys are actually so instinctive you're trying to tell the same type of story mm. or is it because your story is becoming their story or vice versa and that's a very dangerous thing mm. so it's like if you assuming you're in a situation where you work with somebody for 25 projects in a row, then you don't work with them, are you able to still maintain that same quality and that same honesty with a different project? Or right. are you so linked that you guys are tethered to that point? Mm. And then do you want that? Like, do you want to be artistically defined by somebody else? Mm. Or do you want to be artistically defined by yourself? Right. That's It's a challenging thing, and, and I've done both roads. Um, mm. I've had both experiences, they've been incredibly rewarding in both ways, but even the person I'm the closest collaborator with these days, you know, we've spoken about, like, doing projects with other people because of the benefit that you also get from learning from other perspectives. So like right. when you work with somebody else, they will challenge you in ways that somebody you are constantly linked up with, you know, you, you almost have a shorthand. You, mm -hmm. you don't even have to speak at some point because you know exactly what each other thinks. But communication on set is so important. Mm -hmm. So actually learning that skill is, is something that you need to learn because mm -hmm. you have to explain emotion to somebody who doesn't know you sometimes on mm -hmm. a film set. Like, mm -hmm. They have no idea where you come from, they have no idea your background, they have no idea what your aesthetic taste is, and if you can't explain what you're going for every time, you're just, you're just going to make unfortunate work, because it's not going to be honest. Totally. As far as someone who's kind of like reached a level of success at a young age with cinematography, to someone who's just now starting out, I know you're speaking about like choosing jobs that are like artistically stimulating for you. Would you recommend for someone starting out to turn down jobs that are not artistically inclining? Or would you say, at the beginning, take everything? It's a great question. Um, honestly, the best piece of advice I could give, which is just what I did, what I like was able to do, and so for me it feels like just the best possible solution, is create one piece of work that really defines you. Okay. And then let that be your calling card and put that out there. And then anybody that reaches out to you will know what you're about. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to be presented with a bad project mm -hmm. because every project's going to be, somebody watches your like one film and they're like, oh, I want something similar to this. So it's mm -hmm. already within your real house, but make that film entirely emotionally, entirely based on yourself and what you want in this world. Mm -hmm. And then the pieces will fall into place. But definitely at the beginning, take every job you can get. Mm -hmm. Take every job that you are not ready for, but was presented to you because you will figure it out as you go. Oh, yeah. Everyone's just faking until they make it at every stage of the game. And it never gets easier. And like, you know, even with a million dollar feature film, I had the same problems that I was dealing with when I was doing like me and two other people in the woods four years ago. It's the same shit, just on a bigger scale. Right. Because all of a sudden, you know, you have a million dollars, but that doesn't mean 
you get the million dollars, like you still get a small percentage because half of that goes into casting and locations and all this other crap. Mm-hmm. And so you're still fighting for things. You just need more stuff. Mm-hmm. So what was that project? Changes. What was that project for you? Which one? The what one that like kind of was like your creative like dream baby that you yeah. use as your portfolio. <laughs> so I made this film, uh, my undergrad film at Pratt. Um, I came into the film program at the very end of Pratt, so I only had one year, so I missed all the technical training of, mm-hmm. of the school. So I just came in there with like no idea what to do and just a really big heart and a really wild idea. And everyone at the school told me it couldn't be done. They were like, I was doing a very uh, experimental, like poetic piece about a memory that had happened years ago of mm-hmm. um, a brother and a sister. And it's like this brother is walking in the water, the older brother and he trips and gets his leg caught on a rock in very shallow water and he's just stuck under this very small film of water and he's watching his sister like clearly begging for help because he's drowning and she just freezes and can't deal with the emotions that she's having and can't deal with the situation in front of her so she just becomes paralyzed and watches her brother drown in front of her and so the film was like a memory of that 30 years later it was a very strange abstract piece and um, to be totally honest I shot the whole film very narrative trying to like push my boundaries and it sucked so I went back and reshot it with just me and myself with these two kids in like upstate Connecticut area and made it like a very weird abstract piece and a lot of people got it a lot of people didn't get it mm-hmm. the majority did not get it but luckily the right people got it and it got into a couple really big festivals and like won a bunch of awards and that really kickstarted my career wow um, I mean we had article on no film school it went to slam dance it won like best experimental film at mm-hmm. Ivy Film Fest like it did a lot of great stuff which allowed me to have even just the confidence to keep it weird, mm-hmm. you know, that that's probably the biggest thing. Like, I would have made that film either way, mm-hmm. but if I hadn't gone into those festivals, I would have always second-guessed if that was the right call. And because of those, even now, even with all the work I've done, I go back to that film as, like, one of the most purest forms of self-expression that I had. Fuck yeah. Yeah, now, words of affirmation, man. Just being told that, like, what you're doing, I feel like at the beginning, it's like, that is the currency that this, this industry operates on, is just being told, like... You need it. I mean, yeah, you, you, you need the confidence to keep pushing yourself. And unfortunately, it always has to come from external resources. Like, it has to come from people reminding you that your work is valid and worth it. Mm-hmm. Because it's when you're putting your heart on the table, you can't look around the room and be like, yeah, I got this. My, heart is, my heart's out there and it's doing the right thing. Yeah. You need some people to respond. And maybe not everyone does, but I definitely do. Yeah. Um, and without it, you know, I'm down with even if one person out of 100 response to it then that's all I need exactly. because if that one because when they respond it's really genuine because mm-hmm. when you make such a weird piece for somebody to connect to it it, it really has to hit home for them mm-hmm. and that's a that's a way of filmmaking that I really appreciate and really admire well shit what um, on that note of like words of affirmation what is uh, some advice that you've gotten on your career from like a mentor or otherwise that has stuck with you and you know the only thing um, my my father's a, an architecture professor, so like I, I feel like it because of that I've gotten advice my whole life, so I tend to like not always love advice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Who you going to ask? Who you going to ask? Well, I mean, he, like everything he taught me was amazing, but he also taught me that like at the end of the day, you know, you just need to follow your own path, and like you can get advice, but really take it with a grain of salt. So I've never really like held on to words from a mentor or okay. teacher for, for better or worse. Right. Uh, but also because I've felt that like if somebody tells me no, I just think they're wrong because they don't know what I'm seeing, and it's a gamble. But luckily, I've been in situations where the films that I've done have always been told no. So for example, my undergrad thesis at Pratt, everyone in the department was like, you know, this isn't really going to work out. It's going to be too complicated. Like you can't really pull it off. And it it did like the best of anybody in that year. And then Amazing. at AFI, we did the same thing. We did this big musical film. Everybody at AFI was like, you guys can't pull this off. It's going to be crazy. And it was shortlisted for the Oscars. We got bought by Fox Searchlight. It's now turned into a TV show. Like, all this crazy stuff. And it just reminded me that, you know, professors are great, but, like, they have to be just a source of guidance and nothing more. They can't ever put you down. But the one piece of advice that I, like, cherished a lot was a writing, a creative writing teacher at Pratt who just, first day of class, said, cultivate your weird. Mm. And that word has really, Mm. that thing has really stuck with me because weird is such a, frowned upon word like weird usually means ostracized or looked down by other people mm-hmm. but it's also the thing that we respect the most when it's done originally and honestly and mm-hmm. so when somebody says cultivate your weird it's like 
it's again the same philosophy of why are you doing what you're doing and don't do it in a way that shocks people necessarily unless that's your, unless that's your jam but for me it means like what are you doing that makes your work so individual and important that nobody else could do and it gets tricky in film because at the end of the day everyone is trying to achieve a good looking image and trying to achieve like a level of professionalism but that's really secondary Although when you're working a lot, that becomes your primary goal and target, but it really comes second. And that's a very challenging thing to, to grapple with. I love that, man. Cultivate your weird is like yeah. exactly what I'm trying to promote with this podcast. Like be yourself and you are weird. We're yes. all fucking weird. But like, and people connect. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, all your podcasts, you're like, you've been a crazy dude for a long time. And for better or worse, like people remember you for that. They like connect to it, and if they don't like it, then fuck them. Right. And if they sure. like it, then they're friends for life. Exactly. And that's like what a great filter to live your life by. Like yeah, everyone that you're surrounded by actually puts you up and appreciates what you do, which is mm-hmm. not many people have that. Um, and that's a blessing of also being in the arts world is that because everyone is kind of at risk all the time of like failure or success, people tend to be a lot more upfront about their vulnerabilities and their passions in a way that I've seeing people who work in other fields don't have that ability to talk about like their biggest fears or like mm-hmm. their biggest strengths in a non-egotistical way mm-hmm. and that it's honestly you know i love making the art i make but also love how it's influenced me as a person as well love that so i was going to ask you a different question but i'm going to ask it after this one on the on the topic of of all that well just on the on the content on the concept of like cultivating your weird right i always ask this mm. question um what is something that you as a human being are working on internally right now? Hmm. Um, it's a really good question. Uh, this year has presented me with these new obstacles that I always used to over-dramatize and over-fascinate over, which was just like an immediate death, so like a real emotional circumstance. Mm-hmm. And I just had been lucky enough to never have anybody super super close like my family passed away and during this COVID I had two family members pass mm-hmm. and it just kind of like shook me up in an interesting way because I had sort of like fantasized about this this way of being for a long time and made work about it because I truly think that like you make work about stuff you have a hard time dealing with as a human being so it becomes a way of you dealing with something that you're not ready to deal with um, and then it happened and I found that it was both easier and more complicated than I'd ever imagined because the the impact is so long-lasting and so so not understood um, like in, in a lot of ways I'm like still dealing with the grief and in a lot of ways the grief was very immediate and some of them you know it could come at any time mm-hmm. and so that's been something I've been trying to think a lot about where is is this something that I want to continue to bring into my work or is it something that has now become more personal right now mm-hmm. that is something I need to digest for years until I'm ready to make work about it mm-hmm. because I don't want to make work about something that is an immature concept in my head. Mm-hmm. Like when I don't exactly know how I feel about something, then I don't think I should make work about it. So that's been something that's been challenging me a lot recently is like if I'm going to go in a more freelance artist sensibility in my work then like what is it about mm. and this is about things I've experienced is it more about pursuing these things that I'm trying to figure out um, it's, it's kind of a large and it, it's like a, my answer is sort of open ended but totally. I'm still trying to figure it out oh, I'm yeah. just enjoying feeling pain right now that, nice. for me that's a really good thing no I do fully I mean I, I forget who said this but they were like you can't experience the happiness of life without tragedy. Like Absolutely. good can't exist without evil. That's Lao Tzu. Good can't exist without evil. So without good, without evil, good is inherently evil. Yes, and, uh, and frankly, the, the amount of self-growth that happens when you're, one sec. The amount of self-growth that happens when you're in a place of sadness or pain is really powerful if you're willing to like, being sad is not a bad thing, but we see it as a bad thing all the time. And so it's like, I, I actually like used to love, you know, even back in college when I would be depressed for like no reason at all, except that I'm so happy and peppy all the time that every now and then it would hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. And I would use an excuse like being hungover or something to just let myself like be in my bed for two days and watch movies. Mm-hmm. 
but then I realized like I'm actually not that hangover. I'm just doing this because I want to feel some type of sadness. It's it's a natural progression to the yin and the yang, and we're constantly we're trying to be happy all the time, all of us, and like prove to others that we're happy that we don't give enough importance to how important being sad is and how it's not a bad thing, but it's actually a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been a big thing for me right now. That's is awesome. understanding that. No, it's amazing. One of the past podcast uh, interviews I had, shout out to Fifth God, he put me onto this mythological podcast and the guy talks about how there's a difference between elderhood and olderhood, right? Like as mm. we grow older, we assume that because we're older, we have this elderhood, but like elderhood doesn't come through age, it comes through experience. And so this guy talks about how wisdom is, in his words, dark knowledge. And yeah. like you acquire wisdom through the trials and tribulations of life and so when we deal with these moments of like intense pain and grief etc we shouldn't run from them mm. you should dive headfirst into them because those are the people that have something worth learning right if yeah. you if you embrace that pain and you learn from it and come out the other side that is what elderhood is right yeah so I really resonate with what you're saying and and I'm curious like are you do you consider yourself a, like a religious or a spiritual person definitely spiritual and definitely not religious I, okay. I have a really hard time grasping the concept of a, somebody else telling me that my beliefs are right or wrong that mm-hmm. just does not click with me at all mm-hmm. but almost like almost in spite of that I've tried to go on my own journey and totally. have experienced many uh, like self-realized spiritual moments that to me then feel much more personal I mean it's like totally. one of my favorite days in LA was you know I used to live in New York and you always get like the Jehovah's Witnesses like knocking at your door and everything and mm-hmm. I used to just like totally shun them I'd be like you know please leave I'm not ready right now I'm busy blah blah and there was one day it was like the summer in between first and second year of AFI I was sitting at a bus stop reading a book because I had literally nothing else better to do mm-hmm. other than to like walk two miles and sit at a bus stop and read and these two teenage girls come up and they're like have you heard the word of Christ and that one day I was like you know what Let me today like yeah let's let's do it let's yeah. party Tell me and it was the most reaffirming conversation I've ever had in my life because they were just so, um, they were so sure that what other people had told them was the truth was the truth. Mm-hmm. And I was challenging them with things that I had personally experienced were truthful to me. And they were telling mm-hmm. me that I was wrong. And I was like, you don't know me. How right. can you tell me I'm wrong when like, I've heard your pitch before right. and it didn't connect for me. And I've heard other pitches of other religions that didn't connect for me. And then I had something that was real for me. Um, so I, I see it as a very personal journey, like, and it, as long as we're all aware that there is something going on that, like, or at least, I don't think you necessarily need to tap into that to succeed in life or to be happy in life, but if you're willing and open to it, there is a possibility for extreme growth when you understand that your life is not as significant or overwhelming as it needs to be, mm-hmm. that, that you can learn a lot from letting go mm-hmm. and you can learn a lot from being vulnerable mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing because when you're vulnerable all it is is just being open to other experiences and the other experience can those other experiences can be determined by religion or defined by a god or whatever it is but you're feeling something that was unexpected that you can't give to yourself mm-hmm. and that that's the biggest part of it i love that yeah no that's that's kind of i'm on a similar path like i wouldn't consider myself religious but i'm definitely spiritual because like i've kind of been reconnecting the idea of like ancestorhood and like you know, mm. like, get, like when I when I eat now, like I do my own little prayer where I, like I thank my creator, I thank the earth, I thank my ancestors, but I don't know who my creator is, right? I, but I have, but you know, I've had experiences in life, like near death experiences, that I know that there's something. I don't know what it is, who it is, who, what, where, why, but like when the fact that you know something that nobody could convince you otherwise of exactly. is exactly, exactly the same thing as feeling confident about your artwork it's like Damn. you know it's there mm-hmm. nobody can tell you it's not there you just might not be able to show it to them and mm-hmm. unfortunately people get disillusioned because if they don't have the know-how or the technical savvy to show what people are believing nobody else will see it mm-hmm. so eventually after three or four tries they'll give up mm-hmm. it's the same thing like you i know that when there's a project i really believe in it is very great whether that means other people will like it or not doesn't matter but i know for me it's the right project the right thing um and that's, I mean, really just, it's confidence in your gut and mm-hmm. confidence in, and I think that can translate really easily to spirituality, whatever. It's like when you totally. know something is real, nobody can convince you otherwise. Fully. No, yeah. On the topic of like, 
what we were saying earlier, like things that you're working on right now, like my big thing is like speaking with intention and like saying what mm. I really mean. But it's also like trusting my intuition. Like when my body and my mind is like, whoa, I don't do that. And listening to that urge or like, yes. well, you should go, you should go and do this. Like just making it happen. Like, and even if you don't fully understand the push, mm-hmm. just having the confidence and courage to pursue it, knowing full well that you have no idea what the fuck you're doing, exactly. but at least you know that what you're doing is what you should be doing, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, it's a fucking, it's a weird, scary thing Yeah, like, to, to like trip. pursue something that you have no idea how it's going to succeed or how it's going to resonate with other people. Mm-hmm. But that's what artistry is. Like, you know, you shouldn't be, um, I mean, one of my favorite examples that brings it back to like the art of filmmaking is, um, oh, I really hope I'm getting this right, but I'm pretty sure it's Conrad Hall who said this, and it was on the set of, oh my God, what's the word? Uh, Road to Perdition. Mm-hmm. So Conrad Hall is this amazing cinematographer, and I hope I'm not messing that up, but I'm pretty sure it was him in that movie. And somebody asked him, like, how long do you need to set up the shot? And he looked at them and said, like, I can't give you an estimate. Like, would you ask an artist how long they need to make a piece of art? He's like, if you want me to set up a shot and it for to look a certain way, I can do that. Technically, no problem. If you want me to find the beauty of the moment, I just don't know. It could be a day. It could be 10 minutes. I have no idea. And that's something that I think we forget a lot in the fast-paced production world of filmmaking is that, like, we have a deadline. We have to shoot certain stuff. So you end up shooting stuff you just don't really know if it's there or not because you don't have the time to sit on it the same way like an artist could spend a year on a film mm-hmm. uh, sorry a year on a painting or something um, because it's not done until they know it's done and you very rarely get that chance with filmmaking and I've had it in a very very few opportune moments with certain directors and certain producers who are who understand that and who understand how important it is to sometimes like go over by 40 minutes just because there's this moment that hasn't been discovered yet which is mm-hmm. totally ethereal and totally passing and is totally wish wash anybody doesn't believe in that but it is so crucial and when you see it you know it you can't explain it but it's there mm. it's the same thing of like you can shoot a wide shot and it it looks technically like everything you want it to look like or you can shoot a shot that feels like what you're trying to say mm. and there's a huge difference and audiences recognize it immediately there's no way to fully explain it it's the it's the certain magic it's the je ne sais quoi of of any art form that we do mm. and that's like to strive for that is for me the ultimate goal Hell yeah. And whatever I do. And whatever we all do. You just saying the word je ne sais quoi leads me into a new question. Um, I ask this a lot of, of artists, you know, um, your upbringing, you know, um, being of, you know, uh, an international background, you're French, mm-hmm. living in America. Do, did your family influence your art or did like your being, you know, like kind of like an, I mean, you're not an outsider because you are American too, but like having that outside influence of another culture, do you think that sure. influenced your artistry at all? Um, as far as international influence, I think there was always a part of me that reminded myself, I kept having to remind myself that I do have a French background, so there's like an element of poetic sensibility there that mm-hmm. like maybe I would not have gotten with American stuff, but mm-hmm. more importantly, my upbringing, like I wouldn't be anywhere without being raised the way I was. I mean, my parents are both artists and they're architects and interior designers and they, you know, I, I realized very quickly when I came to art school that most people's backgrounds were with parents who didn't understand what they were doing. And with me, I grew up with parents who not only understood it, but like pushed me to explain it to them. So mm-hmm. I had to not even, not just figure out the ideas for myself, but also be able to clearly communicate the ideas to other people. Mm-hmm. And then they could bounce off ideas or challenge me or support me. and in probably ways that I will always figure out in my whole life. My parents have been like such a huge, huge, huge influence on my sister as well because she's so opposite of me that she taught me to like, my sister taught me lessons that I didn't realize until I went to grad school, which was like work hard, put your head down, do the work because it pays off. Mm-hmm. And my parents taught me lessons where it's, you know, take that risk, be confident, be bold. And if you're gonna do it, know exactly why you're doing it. Don't just do it because you want to. Mm. Do it because when you get challenged, you have a response to the challenge. Because so many artists, just their answers are like, well, I got nothing else going on, or like, I, because I know it's true, or I can't explain it, but you'll see it when it happens. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that just doesn't pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, because what that really means is you don't have the answer yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's, sometimes that's helpful, and sometimes that can be very detrimental to the project you're trying to work on. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my parents are, are huge and on everything that I do and my mother's sensibility for color I see it in every piece of work I do my father's like intellect I see it in every 
in every conversation I have with a director, like they're a huge part of it. For sure. I love that. I'm and I'm glad I asked because it's something that I've noticed a lot is having the support system of like a family who not only supports what you're doing but like pushes you and like you know they they add a level of uncomfortability by pushing you you know that leads to even greater success um but i want to rotate it back to you as this interview is about you as far as yourself as a creative like what are some words of wisdom this is a two-part question but what are some words of wisdom from yourself in your own career that you would give to an aspiring creative whether it be cinematography art etc wow interesting um I would I would challenge anybody who's thinking about stepping into a creative field to understand I would challenge anybody that's stepping into a creative field to understand exactly what they want to get out of it and I don't mean that in a professional setting I mean that in a I mean that in a larger life growth type like of situation. Yeah, so like, for example, if you're getting into the art world, it is challenging, it's underpaid, it's highly competitive. So if you're gonna do it, I really think you should only be doing it if you know that you as a person will benefit from it. And I include like the struggle and the pain in that. Like I, I love the struggle and the pain because it makes me a better person and it makes me a better artist even at times when it sucks. Um, and if people can't handle that, like if people can't handle random bystanders' rejections of their work, if they take that personally, then that, I, I might be wrong, but I think that that means they're not confident enough in their own work. Mm -hmm. If you can be shut down by random people, then your work isn't strong enough. Shit. And, and, and by work, I mean your, your ethos and your path. Mm -hmm. y you need to be willing to make work that can be misunderstood in your time for your whole life mm -hmm. and maybe you have to have a day job but if, if you need to make work then you gotta make work and and you should be doing it your whole life and uh, if it doesn't get recognition until 100 years later when you're dead then then great and so be it but at least you'll be making something that you care about yeah and, and to kind of you know add emphasis to what you said you know we can only really pull from personal experience but it took me until I was 26 to do this because I had to gain that self-love and self-determination that was like even if someone told me i don't like what you're doing it's like i don't care i have to <laughs> Dude, do this exactly yeah because <laughs> either they just don't get it mm -hmm. and then fuck them yeah or actually no that's it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> if they don't yep. get it then if they don't get it then like that's fine yeah. and then if your goal nervous. as the artist is to because if you can if you're talking to somebody that you think should get it and they don't, then the problem is within you. And right. it's, in with your, it's in within your expression of your artwork because mm -hmm. your work is not as clear as it should be. And that was something that I struggled with and still do for many years. My work was extremely abstract and I truly felt that like 90% of audiences should understand it. But what happened was uh, in my first earlier films, like 10% got it. And it's because the 10% were so connected to the subject matter that they really got it but I went to AFI to be able to more clearly communicate my message because at the end of the day, if you're an artist, yes, you're making the work for yourself, but you're making the work for yourself to tell other people about how you feel and hopefully they will take it and run with it and make it something that's much bigger than just you. Yep. If you make art, the whole point, I think once you, once you finish the piece and send it out there, it's no longer a representation of you. I mean, in a, in a certain way it is, but it's, it's other people's things. Like my favorite films, Every time I hear a Q&A with a director, I like disagree with stuff they said, which mm -hmm. is ridiculous. But for me, it's it's not because mm -hmm. I got something different than what they were saying, and whether they meant it or not, it just is the reality. Oh shit! And then part two of my question. First of all, I love the part one. That was a great. <laughs> part two is um, as a human being, what is like some some words of wisdom that you could share with just someone else on their on their path through, mm. you know, life and mortality on this earth. Honestly, enjoy the pain. Mm. Like, mm. pain is very powerful, and we always try to shy away from it. Um, and I think it's something that's a lot of people hide from the pain or hide from their own depression or sadness or see it as a very bad thing. Mm. But a lot of great artists I know suffer from severe depression, and you don't have to be a suffering artist to make great work, but you do have to be, in my opinion, somebody who can embrace pain in a healthy way mm. to make great work because the pain is coming from somewhere. Um, 
I mean, it's the same as like a hallucinogenic experience. If if you're taking drugs and and have the only goal in mind is just to have fun, you're gonna have fun, sure, but it's gonna be very limited, and you're gonna be confronted with times where you're challenged by your own demon or like a potential bad trip. Mm-hmm. And a bad trip doesn't exist. A bad trip is just your mind and your soul trying to tell you that you need to deal with something. Mm-hmm. And the totally. second you get over the fear of dealing with your own shit, you realize like it's stuff that you're already thinking about. It's not, there's nothing new there. Um, I think that relates to a lot of ways of growing up and, and getting more mature as both an artist and a human being. And they, they absolutely like reflect one on the other. Fuck yeah. Amazing. That is a, can't beat that answer, but I'm going to ask you as a final kind of, you know, a, a wrap up. First of all, I mean, thank you so much for doing this. this of course. Really my fun. pleasure, dude. This yeah. was so much fun. It was awesome. Uh, and I asked this question, it's kind of similar to the last question, but it's a little different, like, as just kind of like a, a last, like, sign-off, any, any gift or, you know, wisdom that you want to just leave with people, mm. like um, a final thought. You know, the one thing I would say is, <clears throat> when COVID first hit, there was a lot of pressure from the outside world to somehow like be dealing with COVID in a way that other people couldn't. So for example, I was just like severely couch ridden and I don't know if that was depression or just anxiety, whatever it was, but I was a bum for the first four months or so. And it took uh, my partner Kylie telling me, like reminding me that it's okay to be in a bad place. And it's okay just to live every day as surviving this intense thing that we have never experiences. We've never experienced in anything close to our generations. And, uh, Honestly, it's reminding people that it is okay to not be okay. Mm. And it is okay to be lost. It is okay to be on a path of discovery instead of knowledge. And and that there's a lot of power in there. I mean, like, if you are in a bad place, then you at least being aware of the fact you're in a bad place is already the first step to getting rid of that part of your life. Because everyone has been in a bad place in their life and everyone who's overcome it is because they've stepped back and said, I'm not happy here. And it might take years to overcome that. It might take a day, whatever it is for each individual. Those are the, those are the, the nuggets that like, put you on the right path. Because if you're in a job that you hate, you hating that job will force you to go in a different direction. If you're severely depressed by not having any work, that will force you to do something else in your life. So for example, like I started going on hikes or then started drawing because I couldn't do anything else. And those things have given me a lot of fulfillment in a time where I've based my entire life on fulfillment from other people and other projects and I had to like rediscover it in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, to recap it, it's like, it's okay to not be okay. And the only person that should ever tell you if something is good or bad as far as your own artwork is you. And you definitely, there's always room for growth. There's always room for development and clarity. But at the end of the day, you cannot be dissuaded by other people's opinions of something that's bigger than just the technical elements that are happening in front of them. And that comes from criticizing music or theater or film, whatever it is. I think that's a big, it's a big thing people kick themselves in the butt for Mm. when they don't need to. I love that, man. Well, thank you so much. This is an honor and a pleasure. My pleasure. Cheers, bro. Cheers. That was fucking incredible. That was great. Thank you.
Thank you.